Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This is going to be on what I would say is one of the classic applications in CT is the stomach. And uh, it's something where I've noticed, that we all noticed, there's potential opportunities for great diagnoses and potential um, misdiagnoses. And we talk about that at the end of the day, the most successful uh, exam of the stomach is really one that optimizes technique and optimizes study interpretation. But I will admit everything revolves around study technique. If you don't have good technique, you're not going to do a good job. So we'll cover that in the beginning. And we talk about how imaging of the stomach really has changed and continues to change and perhaps hasn't changed. But I think it does. This is some cinematic rendering. And look at the gastric folds. And it's somewhat amazing the detail you can get in the gastric folds. So perhaps. Uh, we will be doing more gastric CT when we can look at the fold pattern and who knows how good we would be to pick up ulcers or small tumors. But at the end of the day, when you think about the stomach, it's really four things I think about. Distension, opacification, display, and enhancement pattern. When you talk about the stomach, classically the uh, wall thickness was under a centimeter. Truthfully, these days with good gastric distension is under five millimeters. In order to use those measurements, of course, the stomach needs to be well distended. If the stomach is not distended, you can miss pathology, you can overcall pathology, you can undercall pathology, you can make all sorts of mistakes. Now, you can do CT of the stomach with positive contrast, and here's just a good example in this patient where the stomach is really well opacified. And positive contrast works well. We know that we tend to use more neutral agents because for subtle mucosal enhancement, for subtle lesions, the neutral agent is probably better. But you can see in this case with positive contrast, very nice visualization of an infiltrating tumor in the antrum of the stomach. You can see the extent of tumor and it's spread to the duodenum. So again, the key thing, of course, is the stomach is well distended, so I know that anything I see is going to be abnormal. We do see a filling defect toward the fundus, but that's just residual food in the stomach. Or this example where we use water or a neutral contrast agent, you see the mass in the gastric wall, you see there's an ulceration present, you see it again on the coronal view with volume rendering or the classic coronal view. And again, you can see the extent the tumor grows through the stomach. You can see the ulceration present. You can see the extent of disease. So when you look at both of those cases, you could say that positive contrast works well and neutral contrast or water works well. The key thing, of course, is in both cases, we really distended the stomach. And just to make that point, this was an ER patient, the typical ER rule at anything. Now, if this patient's stomach was not distended, our protocol is to give 1,000 cc's of water to everybody, or positive contrast. We want to make certain that we're not going to undercall or overcall gastric pathology. So in this case, in a patient with abdominal pain, you can see the infiltrating tumor in the stomach. This is a classic adenocarcinoma. But just think about it, if the stomach wasn't distended, would you undercall this? Would you overcall this? Would you say it's not... Uh, valuable because of the lack of gastric distension, what would you say? And most of the time you're going to mumble something which makes no sense, but here I'm able to say definitively there's a gastric cancer, and in other cases I'm being able to definitively say it's normal. Now when you look at the stomach, we say over five millimeters is abnormal. Um, areas that are difficult are the fundus, particularly G junction, hiatal hernia, often simulates uh, thickening up there. 
and in the antrum of the stomach. And Perry Pickard wrote an article a number of years ago that made the point that the antrum, uh, the way that we cut through it on CT, it can look up to about 12 millimeters in size uh, and be normal. And of course, the caveat there is when you start seeing asymmetry or perfusion change, you better be thinking about a cancer. And so, for example, in this case, you look at the antrum of the stomach, and I'm showing you axial and coronal, and you can see it's 12 millimeters in thickness, but it's really nice and symmetric. There's no changes in enhancement. Here it is in the coronal views right there and there. And the symmetry is very striking. The density is very homogeneous. And this is simply normal uh, antrum. So again, you want to be careful in that region. But again, the well-defined smooth borders and symmetry work very nicely. Think about it and compared to this case. First thing in this case you see is fluid in the stomach, but we give you water to drink, but it's the food matter. And yes, the patient could have been eating a cheeseburger on the way to CT. That indeed has been known to happen. But, you know, there's a lot of food matter in there. And then you look at the antrum and there's infiltration of the antrum. This was an antral carcinoma, nicely seen here as well and here as well. This was an antral carcinoma of the stomach. Again, you can say, well, how do I differentiate the appearance of the fluid here versus the fluid in the last case? There, it was all fluid. Here, there was a lot of model density. And when I see model density in the stomach, it means retained food. Now, again, you could have just eaten a cheeseburger, but more often than not, it's due to delayed gastric emptying or poor gastric uh, um, emptying due to tumor rather than simply just a incidental phenomena. So if I see this case, look at all the food in the stomach. At a minimum, I'm saying this patient has gastric motility. And on the flip end, I want to make certain this patient does not have a gastric cancer. And sure enough, there's infiltration of the antrum. So again, you want to be careful. If the stomach is too distended, and particularly distended by with residual food matter, and the patient hasn't eaten in the last five minutes, you really need to worry you're potentially going to miss a gastric cancer. So what's our protocol? We give 1,000 cc's of water or omnipeg 20 minutes before the study. We use IV contrast, 5 cc's per second ideal injection for omni or visipeg. And we typically will do, if it's only the stomach, theoretically you might do one reconstruction at 50 seconds. But the reality is when we're doing staging for detecting tumors, we tend to do dual phase acquisition. Now I mentioned we can use water of positive contrast, and I've sent you some very nice examples of water, but when shouldn't you use water? Well, in this case, we're looking for perforation. You want positive contrast. Positive contrast is much better for perforation or suspected perforation, and you could see the presence and extent of the process. And again, with positive contrast, fistulous tracts are opacified, strictures in the uh, bowel, particularly if they're obstructive, are easy to define. So that is one of the caveats for using positive contrast, looking for a fistula or looking for a leak. And in this example, in this patient with halitosis, you can see there's something posterior to the stomach by the flexure, but what's going on? I don't know, but look when we give positive contrast, the fistula between stomach and colon, gastrocolic fistula is seen, and this was due to a patient's colonic carcinoma. So again, sometimes without looking very hard, you're going to find out the answer that can be very helpful. Now, in terms of phases of acquisition, 
truthfully, if I was doing a staging of a stomach cancer, I would like dual phase imaging to optimize the vessel mapping and everything else. But in terms of detection, one phase, typically venous phase, is going to be enough. Again, if I'm staging an unusual pancreatic mass or malignancy, I think dual phase arterial venous becomes incredibly important. Also, if you're doing a patient and you're worrying about possibly of GI bleed, I just gave the patient today where the patient was post-Whipples, they worried about GI bleed. You're going to do dual phase, do the stomach with dual phase because you can pick up some of the sites of bleeding as well. So just some rules. Venous phase is best for detecting of liver mets and adenocarcinoma because they're hypovascular. Venous phase is best for defining small nodes in part because you're not going to confuse them with dilated vessels. And arterial phase may be too early to appreciate changes in mucosal uh, enhancement as seen in carcinoma. But I think we have uh, some work in this area that, depending on the tumor, it still can be very valuable. And I'll show you some examples. Here's arterial and venous phase. You can see good injection, nice aorta, but the stomach is not distending, at, is not opacifying at all. Venous phase, you see it opacifying. You see the different layers of the stomach. This can be very helpful in terms of looking at extent of disease. You can see as you scan upward toward the G junction, very nice visualization of the carcinoma, which is infiltrative, basically an linitis plastica type appearance. But the nodes uh, which are seen are going to be small. And here's just another look at that. Now you can see that on these images, the differential between the mucosa and submucosa is clear, as it can be seen on these images as well. So one of the things, of course, concern is that, you know, could we scan too early and perhaps not see the subtle changes in enhancement? That's theoretically a problem, but then you'll see wall thickening. But one would argue that venous may be the best phase for looking not only at tumor detection, but looking for extent of tumor um, within the wall of the stomach. And again, you need that later phase or venous phase to be able to separate the enhancement of tumor versus enhancement of a normal gland. Now, when we look at the stomach, I think often looking at multiplanar in 3D can be helpful. I've said this for many things, but this was read as a mass in the gastric fundus. You see the patient has varices and cirrhosis. When you look carefully, that mass we're seeing is vascular. And when you look carefully, you can see it's coming off the patient's um, stomach, these are going to be not just simply uh, uh, vessels or a mass, but these are large varices in a patient with portal hypertension, cirrhosis, and varices. And again, varices can simulate tumors. We know that. It's important if you only have arterial phase imaging, you need to be very careful and not overcall the presence of disease. You really don't. Uh, you need to, you don't want to be you don't want to make that mistake. So it's a, an important thing. At times, varices can be simulated or simulate a tumor. I've seen nodes be called when the patient simply has varices. So if you have a cirrhotic liver, which you can see here, you want to make certain you have venous phase imaging so you don't overcall the presence of disease. And you can see here very nicely the size of the varices. This patient did not have a gastric cancer. This patient had large varices. And there's another case, a very large esophageal and gastric varices. It's very important not to confuse this with adenopathy. They kind of look round. They kind of look somewhat similar.
but you don't want to make that mistake. And I've showed you a few images that make that point. And again, I mentioned a moment ago, but let me reinforce. When you have a cirrhotic liver, be very careful. Don't call masses in the stomach. Don't call peripancreatic masses. Don't call nodes. You often can get fooled by varices. So if you only have arterial phase, make sure you have venous phase before you call pathology because you could be making a mistake. All right, let's get a little bit more specific now. Let's take a look at some of the tumors. Gastric adenocarcinoma, 650,000 deaths worldwide. Incidents decreasing in the U.S. over the past 60 years. It's rare before age 40. Most patients have advanced disease at time of detection. There are certain risk factors, pernicious anemia, the classic one we always talk about, H. pylori infection, up to a six times increase in occurrence of gastric cancer. We talk about menetriase and unusual post-resection stump cancer. There are certain syndromes, and I won't go through these in detail, but if you're interested, you can stop the talk and really read each of the slides. But here are six different syndromes from hereditary diffuse gastric cancer to juvenile polyposis and Putz-Jaeger's and familial adenomatous polyposis. We talk about specifics, juvenile polyposis syndrome. We talk about the germline defect and the fact that the risk of developing GI cancers varies from 9 to 50% depending on the mutation. In patients with gastric polyps, it carries a lifetime risk of 21% for developing cancer. Or with Putz-Jaeger's, individuals with Putz-Jaeger's have a 29% lifetime risk of developing gastric cancer. That's high. Now, in terms of all tumors, distribution from antrum to body to fundus is about the same. And diffuse infiltration, what we would call a linitis plastica, occurs in about 10% of cases. The accuracy of staging gastric cancer depends on the protocol. It depends on gastric distension by water or other contrast agent. It depends on interpretation. So when you're looking at primary tumors, variable appearance from focal thickening to polypoid lesions, to diffuse wall thickening with without ulcerations, to bulky tumor, to diffuse infiltration. So you can see there's a spectrum. Focal thickening is probably the most difficult, obviously, and diffuse infiltration of bulky tumor is the easiest to diagnose. We can use CT to get the T staging, ranging from T1 through T4, minimal focal wall thickening to infiltration of adjacent organs. The question always is, can you pick up early gastric cancer? This article tried to look at size criteria and said that if you had a, the stomach distended with a zone over one centimeter, high sensitivity for cancer, but low specificity. And that's the problem. But they went further and said, however, if the wall thickening was focal, eccentric, and enhancing, then it was more likely to be a tumor. But unfortunately, the three findings were only present in a small number of cases. Here's one of those cases where you see interior wall of the stomach, you see the polypoid mass present, you see its infiltration through the patient's gastric wall, that's a gastric cancer. And there's some very local spread, there's small nodes present. Or this example, large bulky tumor body of the stomach, there's no discourse into calling it that. This is a large mass, you see the ulcerations, it's not lack of distension, we have good distension, you always think about that, but here you can put the hammer down because very obvious bulky tumor, coronal view, large lobulated tumor, ulcerations, 
diffuse infiltrations, very nicely shown on the 3D mapping. And I showed you a case of Linitis plastica before, but here's another example. Look at the patient's stomach. You see the diffuse thickening? The biggest challenge is with Linitis plastica, you blow it off and say the stomach's not distended, it's, it's normal. Well, Linitis plastica is well thickening, but I will admit, if the stomach is not distended, you can be fooled. So you need to be very careful. If you're uncertain, you always can give more contrast, but you need to have the contrast in the patient before the study, so you don't need to rescan the patient. Often when you want to rescan the patient, they're 25 miles away. Now, sometimes the infiltration is not as impressive. Here was a question, what about the gastric fundus? There's asymmetric thickening, but you'll notice there's some faint calcifications in the thickening that can be seen in gastric adenocarcinoma. So when you look at this, you see the infiltration, and you notice the high density. That initially I thought was contrast, but there was no oral contrast given, or perhaps something related to, um, I don't know what, foreign matter. But when you look carefully, you're really dealing with infiltration of the fundus, G-junction. This is a mucinous carcinoma of the patient's stomach. So just a very nice example. Last couple things, accuracy for lymph node involvement uh, depends on the nodal group. The biggest challenge is that we do typically use a 1 to 1.5 cutoff for nodes, both gastric cancer as well as esophageal cancer. Often the nodes are very small. And so you really need to call anything above six millimeters. This article by Sato made the point. They divided things into many different categories. But I think in summary, you could say that over six millimeters, you need to worry. And here was an article just talking about that as well. So when you look at this in practice, sometimes it's easy, gastric cancer infiltrating linitis plastic appearance. Look at the celiac, it's encased. Almost makes you think about pa pancreatic cancer or this case where this was read as pancreatic cancer, but this was really portal caval nodes in a patient with a large gastric mass, metastatic gastric adenocarcinoma, multiple nodes in the celiac, as well as peripancreatic region, very nicely shown. Or this case, you know, the same thing, where a large mass in the fundus of the stomach, gastric cancer, and the presence of adenopathy. And this case also makes the point that adenopathy can be large bulky masses or small masses. Adenopathy can be cystic or it can be solid. So it's very, very important to think about those possibilities when you're looking at a patient's case. And again, these images, at times the cases are very, very classic. At times the cases are somewhat more difficult. So speaking about difficult, we're at the 19-minute mark. Let's take a break here. I was trying to get to a different word slide, but 19 minutes is enough, and we'll see you back here in five. Bye-bye.